Welcome back to Everything Just Changed. I'm Bryce Hales, and I'm here with my friend Brad Edwards, and we are seeking to help you navigate faithfulness to Jesus in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world. And we're excited about this conversation today because we all know that 2020 has been a crazy year. We knew that 2020, there was going to be a presidential election. That's the one thing that hasn't taken us by surprise this year. But gosh, uh, the things that have happened, you know, the, the global pandemic that really shut down much of the world for many months led to economic collapse in some quarters. Um, joblessness in the United States is has, uh, has soared. The resurfacing of racial tension, uh, the increased just polarization in our country, uh, especially, you know, from May onward. And yet uh, we all knew this whole time the one thing that was coming was the presidential election. And so Brad and I are sitting down a couple days after the election. It looks like Biden is, is, is going gonna, is gonna to eke it out and win. But, you know, Brad, the, the great thing is that now that the election has come and gone, it's, it's really solved everything, right? Like all of the crisis, all of the polarization uh, has just been laid to rest and everybody's happy and we're going to all go uh, about our merry lives now, right? Is that what you're and seeing? Yeah, I'm just so I'm so happy. This has been the silver bullet we've hoped for, and the you know, like bullet. the Berlin Wall, the divisions that uh, exacerbated the culture wars have just completely fallen down of their own of their own volition, even. And we are finally living in the peace and harmony that we were hoping for in the wake of the George Floyd protests. And yeah, no, none of that has happened. Politics, uh, politics has not solved the problem of polarization in our country in the least. In the least, no. right? If if anything, actually, I, I feel like what has been so stunning, and Bryce, you and I have been a, like perpetual optimists this whole time we've been doing this <laughs> podcast, and at every point, we're like, okay, I think we've hit rock bottom, and then we find out we're wrong, right? Like, and, and I don't mean to be quite, you know, swinging the pendulum in the other direction of like total cynicism, but what is fascinating to me just as, as I've been following the, the progression of the elections has been how much... The, in many ways, what I think a lot of us were hoping for, and I don't want to project, I'll just say me, one of the things I was hoping for was a, a Biden wave that served as a, a, a beacon of hope that Trumpism uh, is not a satisfying or sustainable approach to political discourse. And yeah, well, and I think on the other side, honestly, I think on the other side on, I think both sides were hoping for a decisive victory that sort of would silence the opposition, right? Whether it's Trump is going to crush the left or Biden is going to win and kind of show that the, 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 the nation has no, you know, appetite for Trumpism. Um, and, and like that could not have, um, that has clearly not happened. <laughs> we, we politics has not solved our polarization. We are, we are still divided. We still have deep levels of frustration and animosity for the other side. Yeah, and if nothing else, if anything else, like a, like a the the negative polarization that we have been talking about that we, that David French in our interview with him uh, so masterfully articulated and pointed to evidence of. If anything, it is so ingrained that. Even the 
incredibly significant events of a global pandemic and over 225,000 people in the U.S. alone dying from COVID-19 and and everything that we've been talking about, that still has not been enough to like jerk us out of this existential morass that is voting and participating in our political system as a means of beating the other person, uh, winning yeah. against the other side, right? And and it's like, man, even even that has not been able to like bring us together in a sense. That's stunning to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think I'm I'm just realizing how much more like this isn't a a I think I think that the things that we've been processing whatever the solution is in a lot of ways, it is not something that we're going to have to figure out over the course of the next few to several years, but over the next few to several decades. And that's, 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 uh, that's humbling and, and sobering. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, either that, or we are living through the death throes of an empire. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's another, <laughs> I thought I was good. I thought I was the cynic here, man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe, Maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, David French's book, Because what you just said supposes that things are going to get better. I mean, I am an optimist in the the God is still reigning kind of sense. Absolutely. But not – but I think the people um, in the United States uh, will be okay, even if the country itself and the government is is strained to, to that breaking point. I think there's something to David French's uh, thesis in the his book Divided We Fall about how like it just can't be presumed that we won't see uh, some kind of breaking apart or dissolution um, at some point, and and that's dark. But I I mean I think right. we're closer than we've ever been. Well, or at least you know in the uh, in in the twentieth twenty first centuries, um, as close as we've ever been since the yeah. post Civil War, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, well, on that note, that's that's super. Uh, wow, that was dark. Yeah, happy. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think a lot of what we've tried to do, Brad, in our podcast, um, we're trying to point the way towards faithfulness to Jesus, and part of what we're trying to do, or part of the way we're trying to do that, is just help get our heads around, help, help Christians, especially, um, or frankly, people who aren't Christians, but maybe wondering what the heck is going on with these evangelicals. Um, we're hoping to be a voice of, of sanity and reason, but, but, but trying to explain what is going on, we can't solve it. But the first step is just clearly understanding what actually is going on. And so there's a article that Christianity Today, uh, published, uh, was it the day before the election? Timothy Dalrymple, mm-hmm. who is now the what is he? Is he the the president? Yeah, he's the yeah the president, president CEO, CEO of, of Christianity Today. Today um, entitled "Why Evangelicals Disagree on the President." And gosh, um, I, I I just this was such a, a uh, helpful. Um, uh, explanation of what's going on because I mean we've experienced this and we've seen it in our churches and we've seen it on the national stage and frankly people are seeing it in your friendships and families also that just as much as the country is divided uh, mm-hmm. over over politics and polarization and and really I mean let's be honest people are divided about Donald Trump. I mean, that, <laughs> there are other issues, but like he's kind of the polarizing figure of the lightning rod. Um, and and what what Timothy Dalrymple says in this article is essentially there's a disagreement over the nature of power, and mm-hmm. he's describing two approaches. Oh, I, I didn't finish that statement. Uh, 
just as much as there's division over politics in the country, there's division in the church over, over the president also. Mm-hmm. And, and what Timothy Dalrymple is saying is, is that really there's a, there's a fundamental disagreement or mis, uh, yeah, disagreement over the nature of power and how power should be used and stewarded. Yeah. Well, and I think even, I mean, I think that's some of, I think what you just said about power is definitely the undertone here, but I think he doesn't even quite go that far in the article because he's, he's more talking, I think about cultural perspective and he, he divides between these, these two kind of categories that I think, and the reason why we're talking about this is because this is this is one of the uh, best descriptions of what Bryce and I have been talking about for for months now, um, and this is this is this is really astute and I think very insightful. But he he has these two categories, and the first he calls uh, the church regnant, uh, R E G N A N T. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but the the word regnant actually comes from the word reign or reigning, ruling, um, and it means. I gotta like confess, having, I did I did have to look that up. No, I did too. I mean, I've, I've got Google up while we're while we're talking about this. Uh, but you know, it, it means currently having the greatest influence or dominant. And uh, when we have talked about cultural Christianity or cultural, you know, evangelical culture within the church, that this is this is a lot of this is what we're t- describing, right? So he's saying this in the same way we are, but describing it differently. And he says that. Um, you know, the church regnant sees, and this is a quote from the article, the kingdom of God, the end toward which we strive as a world in which men and women are free to follow their faith. Life is held sacred from con- conception to death. Families can raise their children in biblical truth. Churches take the lead in charity and government provides a stable order for the flourishing of meaningful enterprise. These are all good things, right? These are good values. We, 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 but it's more than this. And he says that, and this is this is super helpful, is most of those who are coming from this perspective are coming from a a place geographically and culturally in the country where evangelicalism is still um, or has most historically been the dominant cultural force. So it's operating in a a cultural ecosystem, so to speak, that is functionally, and this is to your point, Bryce, trying to preserve power, right? Mm-hmm. And, and cultural power. The alternative, he says, is the church remnant which he says are in those places, especially in the country where they don't have much, if any, cultural power, which I would say like, yep, that's, that's us at the table in, in Boulder County, Colorado, that it referred to it as the People's Republic of Boulder for a reason. Um, and, and this is, this is absolutely kind of where I resonate. And, and he describes it as this, um, unlike the church regnant, the church remnant tends to come from places where Christianity is not the reigning cultural or political authority. Um, he goes on, it's larger than you think, and and members of the church remnant are more likely to live on the margins of power, sometimes deliberately, sometimes by exclusion, and they're captivated by a fundamentally different vision of the kingdom of God, which is too sacred to be confused with winning elections and passing laws. It's not a political dispensation or social order. It is not a kingdom of this world. Instead, the kingdom breaks into time and space when men and women sent by the king seek the lost and serve the least. Here's what's fascinating to me about this is he's, he, he says, like, I'm, I resonate with the latter, the remnant. Um, but Bryce, we, you and I were talking uh, about this and uh, before we started recording, and, and we both were 
we're, we're having kind of a shared frustration that like, there's kind of a right answer though, right? Because in many ways, yeah. only one of these reflect the cultural reality that we are living in the midst of. Well, yeah, yeah. So, man, I just want to summarize and, and maybe even, and just kind of clarify what he's saying that, that there are, there for Christians, there is, a, there are essentially two different competing ideas of what's going on in our culture right now. And, and yeah. the, the church regnant is that the church is reigning that we are in in uh, in positions of power and authority, and this election is about keeping our power and authority. And for the church remnant, it's we've actually lost the culture war, and we don't need to continue fighting the culture war. Um, and what we need to do is actually follow Jesus, Allah Philippians two, in laying down our power to serve those, even you know, to serve others, to serve our, love God and serve our neighbor, even when it costs us uh, at a very personal level. And gosh, I think that's a great description of what's going on in this cultural moment we're living through. I have to say, I, f- I still find this article very frustrating because why evangelicals disagree on the president, I was hoping that I was going to read an article that would give me, uh, let's, let's put our cards on the table like the author here. We would definitely see ourselves more in the church remnant um, side of this equation, I was hoping I was going to read an article that was going to help me understand why uh, people who are um, trying to preserve power and authority as Christians are doing that, that I would gain some sympathy. And I didn't, unfortunately, like I want to have that sympathy. This didn't help me do that. And here I think is maybe the most charitable way that I can, um, that I can put this. The Bible does not speak to a church regnant, the reigning church sort of situation. It just doesn't. The Bible has multiple descriptions of what Christians do when we live as the remnant, whether that is, you know, Israel in, uh, in slavery in Egypt, whether that is Israel in exile in Babylon, whether that is uh, Christians in the Roman Empire, especially in First Peter, um, but throughout the Roman em- or throughout the New Testament, it's really speaking to that situation. Christians the church historically is at our best when we are not on the seat of, uh, of power and influence. And the Bible is largely silent about what the church should do when we actually, you know, get into those positions of power. Well, I mean, yeah, kind of like in, in the sense that it happens so rarely, at least <laughs> that, that, um, that there's not a whole lot of need to, uh, to, to, to like describe the normative aspects of that, but the commands, the covenantal commands of God that are peppered throughout, including when Israel or Judah is, is carried off into exile as a remnant is to steward the blessing God has given you for the sake of the nations and your neighbor. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so whether we have like, whether the power is relational or cultural or political, it's clear that biblically speaking, the posture Christians are to have is what uh, is what this article is actually describing as the remnant. That is that is actually the right answer, and I think that's what you're saying is in terms of what is frustrating. Um, that doesn't mean that the desires of the remnant are necessarily bad. It's that those are not high enough desires that they take the priority of preserving their own power and influence. Like that's the problematic part of it because if we trust in 
pol- the you know political powers and parties for that influence instead of God's sovereignty. That's when we get off track. Mm. Um, and and in, in, this has been super interesting to, for me to like. Like I've been following the commentary on this article on, on Twitter and social media a little bit, and I cannot for the life of me remember who categorized this, but I saw somebody, uh, you know, kind of make the, the, the assumption and statement that those who are coming from a more kind of Abraham Kuyper, um, Dutch Calvinist, uh, you know, spheres of influence kind of approach gravitate toward the regnant and the more Anabaptist um, low church kind of Christianity is coming from a more of a remnant perspective. And I, what was fascinating to me about that was like, wow, our church history and, and historical theology is actually so low that we, we would think what, what, what this person articulated, like that's, that's not, that's not even, that's not even remotely the case because Anabaptist, uh, you know, traditions are pretty much defined by being against, you know, wherever they see the cultural power and influences. And if Mm. the regnant is in fear of losing it, that's what is driving a lot of the fear. And, uh, you know, I'm going to maybe overcharacterize this, but I don't think I am, but some of the desperation behind it. Right. Mm. And I think that this, and this is where I think biblically we have to be able to say that the aims of the church regnant are good and noble and something that biblically we should be pursuing in terms of, yeah, religious liberty. Yes. Um, life at conception and until death from cradle to grave. But the way that we're actually going to make our case is not by coercion, but by persuasion. And right. that that right. is a posture toward power and influence that is incompatible with the church regnant and is only possible right. with the church remnant. And there's and there's a, there's a scarcity mentality that that is yes. uh, and a fear mentality that is at work in the church regnant that that I think cr- um, corrupts good intentions. Uh, I, I think maybe what 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 you said a minute ago is so important that it's not the problem is not that um, Christians have power and influence. The problem is that so often when we have that power and influence, we don't. We don't use it for the sake of others. We, yeah. we, uh, I mean, just to put it very bluntly, we, we, we don't steward it for others. We use it to, um, for our own benefit. Well, yeah. Power. And what's under, what's, yeah, I, I was just going to say what's, what's under that I think is this fear that if I actually use my power to serve others, then, then I somehow lose my power. I give it away. And, and that is, that is not a kingdom, um, mindset that isn't that that's uh power in the kingdom of god is not like a zero-sum game um if jesus is the one who is ultimately on the throne who is reigning uh even despite (laughs) present appearances then any power and authority that we have in this world um is something that he has given to us for the sake of others and so giving it away by serving those who are disenfranchised those who uh, have less cultural significant uh, cultural influence uh, doesn't actually diminish our own power and authority in the least. You know, you know, what's interesting. I, I, I'm just thinking I haven't, it didn't occur to me until this moment as we're sitting here processing this, but like, I just really wonder how much the church's uh, fruit in evangelism is deeply affected and, and compromised by the fact that we have so much political and cultural power and have had that, um, for, for 
centuries and decades at least in the, in this country. And, and and here's what I mean by that: like I I did not grow up in the church, right? Uh, I became a Christian at the end of my junior year of college. I didn't know many Christians. I literally, I, I had one friend from high school who's a Christian who led me to the faith uh, from wow. a distance, and I literally did not know any Christians. And when I became a Christian, all of my friends, I was in a fraternity at the time, all of them were like, was that mean you're going to not use, you know, drop F-bombs as much anymore? And to a degree, I tried that for a little while, and then I realized, uh, you know, my that nature take, is, apparently. is... Yeah, depravity. <laughs> anyway, um, but no... I, like it cost me something mm. to be to accept to accept that grace. Mm. It doesn't cost us much in the, especially in places where the church regnant still reigns or is more mm -hmm. the primary culture. That it doesn't cost us anything mm. uh, for the most part. It does in Boulder County. It does mm. in uh, on the West Coast. It does in you know certain areas of our country that are where the church is you know, never mind not, uh, present is actively maligned. I wonder, I just really wonder. Yeah. When, when we're Christi when Christianity is really about like, accept Jesus so that you can have an even better life. If your life is already pretty good, then you don't need Jesus. If it's one item on the buffet that helps yeah. you build your identity through yeah. a uh, pick and choose approach to uh, community, meaning, purpose, and ritual, as we have talked about, that you achieve and you're, man, good for you, that you're smart and you chose to become a Christian, which I would never say that to anybody, but I could, culturally that, that may be the case. Like why? It's going to feel like you have been baited and switched. Um, if, if you, if we lose the culture war, so to speak, right? Yeah. If you look at where faithfulness in the ways that we're describing and advocating for, if you, if you're looking for a place in, in the United States where that is really robust and beautiful, look at the black church, look at black mm. evangelical Christians who have to wrestle with this reality every two and four years. And they're not, <laughs> they are nowhere near so easily captured politically by the insistence that they aren't a good Christian if they don't vote a certain way, right? Like, the, remember the primary narrative? It was really um, Biden capturing um, the uh, the African-American endorsement uh, in the South Carolina primary and and the, the entire, like, that was the tipping point. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine... If evangelicals didn't hand their permission away so easily, hmm. if white evangelicals didn't hand their our permission away so easily, like hmm. the church remnant is especially not white, <laughs> right? Um, globally speaking, especially globally speaking, and I would say American in, in the American church too. That should tell us something, and not from like an identity politics or intersectionality crap. I'm just saying in terms of where do you see the fruit of the spirit being born? Maybe mm. we should follow their lead. Right. Maybe we should uh we should we should actually get back to scripture and allow that to inform where our our uh as you were saying uh earlier uh in a conversation we had around like maybe we should be not try to be allies, but instead instead be co-belligerents. Co-belligerents, yeah. Francis Schaeffer talked about the difference between, you know, align ourselves with people who we deeply disagree with on certain issues and co-belligerents that we, we can fight together against an evil 
um, but doesn't necessarily mean wedding ourselves to their uh, agenda on on uh, on mass. So if not if we are now in this situation where we are approaching the end of what pretty much everybody is agreeing is the worst year in our lifetime. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The election has has uh, not solved anything. We are um, it, it couldn't possibly do it. It's it's if anything maybe poured gas on the dumpster fire that was 2020 already. Where do we go from here? And um, um, you've all 11 published an article, uh, I guess the morning of the election in the New York times, either Trump or Biden will win, but our deepest problems will remain. Um, and, and essentially what you've all 11 is suggesting. in this article is that, um, a top-down approach is incapable of fixing the deep polarization that we're experiencing, and it's going to have to be a, a bottom-up uh, approach um, in its simplest terms. We, uh, we can't expect one person, Biden or Trump, winning the election to um, like settle the animosity that we feel against our family members or neighbors who have different political signs in their front yards. And so if we are going to uh, begin to heal and overcome polarization and reject kind of anger and cynicism, we're going to have to start not by getting the right figurehead in place, but we're going to have to start at the local level in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our workplaces. I mean, maybe even just the simplest analogy. I have four kids and yesterday I was hanging out with my kids and they, you know, as kids do start to bicker with one another. And I I looked at one of my sons and said, listen, if you don't, he's getting frustrated because it was coming at him. And I just said to him, look, if you don't want this to happen to you, then you have to stop doing it to other people. If you don't want to be in the middle of this argument with your siblings, then you the only way you can fix that is by stop arguing yourself. Mm -hmm. If we want to stop the anger at the national level, the polarization at the national level, we can't get 330 million people to stop being angry with one another. All we can do is get ourselves to stop being angry with the people that, you know, we interact with on a regular basis. Yeah. I, I've been hearing, uh, you've all 11 talk a lot more about just like this concept of responsibility. Mm. And I, I mean, this is, this goes to what we are, have been talking about with the Christianity Today article and what is stewardship of power and influence, right? What we're describing is responsibility. And this is the word that he's using. Um, yeah. and he says in this, this opinion piece with the New York times, is at the heart of the, but more important, it is at the heart of the way we Americans have failed one another by failing to ask what the roles we each have in particular institutions, familial, communal, religious, educational, professional, civic, and political demand of us in key moments. Often what they demand is restraint and responsibility, doing your job rather than building your brand. And, and the case he makes, and I agree with this so much, is that what's actually kind of an untapped longing that I do believe, and this goes back to some of the conversations we've had around the exhausted majority, yeah. is, is, is there's actually, I think, a, an untapped longing for uh, integrity and virtue mm-hmm. um, as exercised in, in, in ways that you can actually control, right? 
one of the symptoms of this individualism we we've we've talked so much about is is this kind of facet of expressive individualism that says that like I am expressing my identity and also building my identity, my brand by expressing myself, and it reduces responsibility to saying something right and 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 we have this kind of illusion of of responsibility because we have tweeted something or posted a status update on Facebook or something and but that's not actually changing anything it's not contributing to anything meaningful um it's actually an enablement in the opposite direction mm-hmm. and so in many ways what is required is a confidence in God's sovereignty that he is still in control, that he is working all things together for our good as Christians, such that we are able to like take a deep damn breath and not sit here and like freak out over who is winning the election in either direction or who we think are our enemies and literally like cook the meal for our neighbor uh, across the way who is um, an ER physical, uh, sorry, an, e- an ER physician's assistant. Um, when your county is spiking with COVID or to get up at 4.45 in the morning like my wife did in order to um, watch our neighbor's uh, little girl so that they could go to the hospital and have their second child, right? Mm. Like these, that is more impactful and uh, influential in a kingdom perspective than voting. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, this statement Evil 11 makes, um, the difference between doing your job and building your brand is maybe the clearest way that we could describe what we've been talking about, the difference between receiving our identity from God based on who he you know, says we are uh, and created in his image and in light of Jesus and achieving our identity through what we do. Do your job or build your brand. And yeah, receiving your identity in Christ does not mean you don't do anything. It just changes the starting point. We don't, we don't, uh, you know, do good work, love our neighbor. Um, in order to achieve our identity, we do it because of who we are in Christ versus building our own brand, which is, you know, self-promotion, um, doing things that may or may not actually cause, uh, any good in our world leads any good in our world, but they make our name bigger. And I, man, and that's why I think your, your point about scarcity mentality is, is so appropriate, even spiritually speaking, because we won't feel the need to build our brand. If we have, if our identity has been declared by the God who says we are adopted as sons and heirs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we receive that. That's it. And that's why we're able to ignore the insanity and love our neighbors ourselves and and advocate where we have opportunity. Absolutely. But not not from a place of scarcity and desperation or fear, but from a place of grace and security and and love. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's why, I mean, you said this, Eve all says this, that the solution is it's not we ever, <laughs> well, it's closer than we think, but the solution is never going to be just buckle down and try harder, um, mm-hmm. or like have the right answers. The solution is virtue, but ultimately it's integrity and integrity you know, I mean, I did grow up in the in the church, and I, I'm more used to uh, integrity meaning something like um, like moral values. But the word integrity really uh, comes from the word integer, meaning whole or one. You know, and, and so integrity is about not having a divided self. And um, this is where I think, man, and I don't, gosh, want to overstate this, but I think that the church has got to lead the way 
if there's going to be a kind of overcoming of the polarization in our country, because it's only in light of the gospel that we have the resources to be whole people. Uh, the gospel tells us that you know, we come to God as broken people and he puts us back together. That's where integrity comes from. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, if you think about, th- I mean, think about integrity in terms of not like moral rectitude because you choose to do the right thing, even when faced with, you know, a p- uh, tempting offers to, uh, to cheat or lie or steal or whatever. Think about like the, inte- we, we can talk about the, like the integrity of a bridge, right? If the integrity of a bridge is compromised, it's because it is beginning to fall apart. And when, uh, when virtue has gone out the window and winning at every cost has become the order of the day on both sides of the political spectrum, it's because, of a lack of integrity, not because we choose to do the wrong thing, but because our loyalty has been divided. And ultimately, Christians are the ones that have the resources to lead the way in in, in returning to virtue because God has come and found us. When we, when we are broken, he binds up our wounds. He puts us back together. He gives us a new name. All of who we are is secure in what Christ has done for us. We are whole people, not because of what we've done and achieved for ourselves, but because of what Christ has done for us. And therefore, we can actually steward the power and the influence that we have for the sake of others. Hmm. Amen, man. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today on Everything Just Changed. We are approaching the end of the year that felt like it would never end. We've got a couple more episodes we're going to release, and then Brad and I are going to take a break as we get closer to Christmas for a couple weeks into the new year. Next week is Thanksgiving, and we're going to drop an episode early next week to help you out as you are going to Thanksgiving meals with family knowing that you may have experienced deep disagreement and tension with your uh, friends and family members over the last several months. How are we going to navigate these times together faithfully as followers of Jesus in this crazy year? What does it look like to follow Jesus in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world? At a Thanksgiving table. We're going to talk about that next week. Don't miss it. If you have just discovered our podcast, welcome. We are so glad you're here. We know there are a lot of you that are new because we see our metrics, our stats going up. So thank you so much for joining us. We would love it if you'd subscribe to our podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. But also help us spread the word by leaving a review at Apple Podcasts or by sharing this episode with a friend. Thank you so much. I'm Bryce Hales with Brad Edwards. Our theme music was recorded by Kevin McLeod and used under a Creative Commons license from filmmusic.io. And our logo was designed by Danny Rankin. We'll be back next week helping you navigate life in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world right here on Everything Just Changed.